All right, one more time. Welcome to Emmanuel. How we doing, church? We feeling good today? All right, thanks for joining us today. Hey, my name is Matt Randall. I'm the campus pastor at the Greenwood campus here uh, at Emmanuel, and uh, I'm excited to welcome back to our stage Senior Pastor Danny and his wife Jackie. So let's welcome them back. Hey, if you're just joining us for the the first time in this series, this is a two-week series called Till Death Do Us Part. And so if you missed last week, uh, I just want to encourage you, holy cow, go check out the podcast from last week. It was incredible. Uh, God laid some stuff on Danny and Jackie's heart that uh, was really great for my own small group, my own marriage, and my own house. Uh, Man, it was good. So go back and check that podcast out. So much uh, about honoring what that looks like in a marriage. And a little couple nuggets about parenting. Some parents out there I know were blessed this week too. So, uh, but it's week two, and here's what we did. Last week we said, send us your questions. Uh, and wow, did you respond? Uh, we got more than 100 questions um, that specific to some of the stuff we talked about last week, but then all kinds of new stuff as well. And what we've done this week is try to narrow that down into some categories that are easy to digest, uh, and we'll do our best to get to as many questions as we can this week. You ready? You ready to hear what you had to ask for us? All right. Uh, now, guys, the first uh, category, I guess you could say, of questions that we received, uh, we're just dealing with singleness, dating, and God's expectations for marriage. And so uh, here's the first question that we got for that category. It's, what advice do you have for singles who desire to be married? That's a great question. But first of all, I just want to say that this has been really fun, um, sharing the platform with my husband for two weeks. Um, we've had some really good feedback from you guys online and just out in the community, gotten a lot of love. So thank you for that. And I just want to say I've been having fun. You like it? You've been I, having fun? I like it. I yeah. like yeah. being with you. <laughs> um, oh, he has to say that right now. Uh, no. So uh, to speak to the question for advice for if you're single, um, you know, I th- this is a great question, and I think my first piece of advice is would just be to work on yourself. I think most of us would say that if we're not married, we'd like to be married to somebody who's honest, who's hardworking, who has great relationships with their family members and their friends, and they have a, a, a good walk with God, and they're seeking Him every day. They care about their physical appearance, and they're working on their physical fitness. If those are things that you would value, in a potential spouse, then work on becoming those things. Listen to podcasts, read books, get in a small group, do a Bible study, go to the gym, you know, do those things because we tend to just attract who we are. Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that is to, to enjoy being single. I think that um, a content person, a happy single person is an attractive person. Uh, a discontent, unsatisfied single person is not necessarily one that is, is attracting uh, attractive to others. And I think it's, it's important to remember that as human beings, we tend to always want to uh, be somewhere that we're not, where the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence consistently. And you can start to feel that way as a single person, like, oh, I think I'll be happy when I get married. And, and I think it's important to settle into your singleness and embrace that and to enjoy that. You know, there, there are some unique things that you can do as a single person that you can't do when you're married. And there are a lot of advantages to being single uh, over being married. In fact, the Apostle Paul spoke to this issue in a letter uh, to the Corinthians. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, he said this, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him, that is the Lord. He continues and says, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. 
then he says this, his interests are divided. So now it's like, okay, I have to now take care of or make enough money to take care of a family and children, and, and I can't come and go as I please anymore, and I can't, you know, stay out late anymore, and I can't just go on a mission trip if I want to, spur the moment, because I have extra money. And, and what Paul is saying is there are clear advantages to being single uh, as opposed to being married. He's not bashing marriage. He's, the Apostle Paul was definitely pro-marriage. But he's just pointing out the obvious that when you're married, life is different. And so you're not as free as you, as you once were when you were single. So I would say learn to enjoy your singleness and take advantage, of, take advantage of those unique opportunities. Good stuff. Now, we also got some questions from people that are in dating relationships. One of them I know we wanted to answer was this one. I'm a Christian dating someone who isn't. I love this person very much. So how do we overcome this difference? Yeah, I'll speak to this really quick, um, you know, because Paul addressed this issue very, very clearly. And this might be um, easy to speak about, but it's, it's sort of hard to hear, uh, especially if you've already fallen in love, and that, that makes it very challenging. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said this, do not be uh, yoked together with unbelievers. So don't, don't, hook, don't hook your caboose to, to somebody who's not following Christ, is what he's saying. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Now, he's not saying that people who are not believers are wicked necessarily. He's basically using wickedness and righteousness as an example of two things that just don't go well together. And so what he's saying is that a person who's a believer in Christ, if that person hooks up or, 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 try, or gets married to a person who's not a believer, uh, there's, there's going to be inconsistencies at the core level. Uh, the very, the most important issues. Um, and so ba- Paul basically says, because of those potential differences or, or struggles, do not get married uh, to someone who does not have a relationship with Christ. And I think that would also include people that perhaps have a relationship with Christ, but they're not pursuing Christ with their life. Yeah, that's good. And I would say too, just think about your life in five or 10 or 15 years, and what is it that you want that to look like? Do you want to have a family? Do you want to be serving in your local church? Do you want to be going on mission trips and giving and doing those things? For us, all of the major decisions that we make as a married couple, the the foundations of those decisions go back to the Bible. So if we don't have that in common that we both believe that that's the foundation of our life, making those decisions about parenting and money and free time and giving, they're going to be very difficult to make. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Now, okay, so we got some questions from people that are in relationships. We got some questions from some fiancés out there. Here's a tough one we received. Why shouldn't I live with or have sex with my fiancé before we're married? I feel like because we're engaged, this shows we're already committed to forever. Yeah, this is, this is big in our culture today. A lot of people feel like you need to test drive the car before you buy. And so uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and move in together and see how this works. And What's amazing, this week I actually was doing a little research on this, is that the statistics just don't support that. Um, In fact, I saw a stat that said that for for those who move in together before marriage, those folks are 40, there's a 46% higher chance of them getting divorced than a couple who does not move in together before marriage. Uh, For for 60% of couples who move in together before marriage actually never never end up getting married in the the, the end. 
uh, which I think is fascinating. And for the 40% who actually do get married, uh, that move in together before marriage, they have uh, uh, five out of six of those marriages end in, end in divorce in just about three years. And so those statistics, those are through the, through the roof. And so I'd ask myself, like, why are those statistics so high? And I think there's a couple of reasons. I think that First of all, couples who move in together before marriage, they're basically taking God's plan of marriage and they're kind of twisting it to fit their own needs. It's, oh, this, let's, use the, let's take advantage of the, of the advantages of marriage, but let's not actually get married. And I just don't think God blesses that. And then I also think that uh, you know, marriage is the most intimate relationship on planet Earth. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, there's intimacy, right? And so when you make that type of commitment to somebody without the promise or covenant of marriage, it creates a very unstable environment, an unstable situation. And when things hit the fan and they do hit the fan, yes, right? So when things hit the fan and there's no commitment, they can look at each other and say, I'm out of here because we never got married. And so I like it. I'm sorry. I like that you use the word covenant because a covenant is a promise and it's binding, it's almost like a contract. And to me, it's kind of like the difference between walking in a house and looking around and saying, you know, I like this house, I wanna buy it. And then sitting down at the table, the closing table, and writing a huge fat check and signing your name about a hundred times and getting keys back in return. One has really great intentions and it's a great idea, but there's you haven't done anything in order to put yourself in that situation. And then the other, you've put an enormous amount of skin in the game. You've signed a contract and you have made that covenant that you've made it binding. So I think that when you're living together without that, without that covenant, it, when it gets hard, it's just too easy to bounce. And then when that happens, the cut, the pain is so much deeper because you've already experienced this intimate relationship together. Um, and you have to admit the statistics are so high, there's always that chance that it's just not going to work out. If you, don't trust, uh, if you don't trust God there, trust the science, okay? Yeah, so <laughs> both of them agree on that. That's good stuff. Now, Danny, I wanted to throw this back, maybe just throw it back one more time. So I'm pretty sure we, we got this question from somebody who's already in this kind of position. And so I know we've talked about that before. Do you have quick thoughts about, hey, I'm yeah. in this spot, what do I do now? Yeah, so I actually was sharing this with some friends of mine this week. Uh, I think if you're living together and, and, and you feel like, oh, man, we should do it right, we should probably try to honor God this way, I think there are three options. None of them are really easy, but if you want to make it happen, you can. Number one is get married ASAP, like tomorrow, okay? So we got to honor God here, so let's go tie the knot. Um, that would be good. Um, the other one is to move out and set a date and move out and stop being physically intimate and say, God, you know, we've been cheating here. We've been kind of twisting your idea of marriage. And then so separate and then come back together on your wedding night uh, and do it, do it that way. Or the third option, which I think is way too difficult for, I could never do it, uh, would be to stay in the house and just kind of sleep in separate be- bedrooms and, and uh, just kind of avoid each other physically. Um, so, like I said, I couldn't do that. If you can do that, you're stronger than me. But, uh, you know, so one, two, three, you know, none of them are easy. Good stuff. Uh, all right, so we also received a whole bunch of questions related to kind of the grind, the day-to-day life in marriage. Uh, and so we got a couple questions we wanted to hit. Here's the first one. 
What boundaries as a couple do you have in place for being on your phones and using social media? Realizing that's probably a question from my wife. Um, <laughs> Jackie, how much yeah. trouble am I in? <laughs> um, we have pretty specific boundaries when it comes to this. Uh, I view someone being on social media or texting another person while we're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation as pretty much inviting another person into the room. So if we are in that one-on-one -on -one conversation, uh, I think you struggle with this a little bit more than I do. You know, his phone is just always buzzing and, and there's just always people trying to get a hold of him. And uh, so if we're in that conversation and he picks up his phone while we're talking, I just stop talking. Like I just, like mid-sentence, I'll just like, okay. Like I'm not gonna talk over that person. I, I'm not gonna compete for that. So I'll wait till you're done. And usually that gets two responses, uh, one of two responses. The first is, um, gosh, I'm sorry, I got distracted. What were you saying? And then we're putting it down again. And then uh, the second is, I'm really sorry. There's just this thing going on at work. There's this decision we're trying to make and everybody's going back and forth. And it's just, I really have to deal with this right now. And, and that gives me the chance to say, great, you know, go deal with that. That's fine. Um, so that's kind of how we, I, I just make it pretty clear that like Twitter and social media and a buddy who's texting you is definitely taking a backseat to me and my position in your life, you know, my, our relationship. So uh, also we don't have, uh, oh, we have all access to our phones and our devices. So like I could pick up his phone at any time and scroll through and see what's been going on as he could mine. Uh, so no secrets there. Uh, also no phones at the dinner table. Uh, or like if we're out to dinner or having lunch, we're just not, not putting, you know, them out. We struggle with that a little bit. We're doing better, I think. And then uh, the last thing I would say, oh, this has more to do with like families, which the expectation in our house is that the kids don't take their phones or their devices into their rooms at night. And so they have them use them up to a certain time of night. And then they, there's kind of a, a place where they charge everything. They leave it there for the, the night and they don't bring them into their room. No phones in the rooms. No, that's good stuff. Now, I don't know if you caught that. That's a twofer, guys. So that's both marriage advice and parenting advice in the same question. So thank you guys for that. Uh, now, we got a lot of questions related to the next one. So we kind of piled them all together. Here's what it is. How do you keep the fire alive in your marriage? This is a fun one. Uh, for me, it's easy. You know, after 19 years of marriage, uh, you're still smoking hot. So, <laughs> you know, um, still chasing her around. That's, uh, that's great. Um, but no, on, on a probably more, I don't know, at a different level, um, I think that what we try to do is we try to stay in t intensely interested in one another. Um, you know, the word that comes to mind that describes my wife, not completely, but is the word oscillating. I love that word. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, it just means changing. It goes up, it goes down, you know, side to side. And, and my wife oscillates. Um, and so, you know, there's always something new. Uh, she's always got a different thought. She's always into something different. And so I find that very interesting and that keeps our, our uh, relationship dynamic. And so I'm always calling her, talking to her, what's going on, you know, things are changing with our children, things are changing with the church. And so uh, we have, we just stay very interested. I know a lot of couples that, that they think their, their spouse, you know, is old hat. 
you know, like an old piece of furniture or, you know, like an old shirt, you know, been there, done that. And so they're not interested in each other. And so we just, we just try to, you know, stay interested. The other thing we do is we have a hobby. You know, we like real estate. Jackie's a real estate agent, and we like to do a little small investing in rental properties and stuff like that. So we always have something to talk about. I think it's important to have something that you're working on with your spouse to keep that conversation going, something that you both enjoy. So what, what else? What, else, yeah. uh, what keeps yeah, the buyers going for you? Well, date night. <laughs> date night is huge for us. Um, when our kids were younger and, you know, it was just, you're very hands-on with them every night, and we were home pretty much every night. We had a standing appointment with a babysitter, and she knew that we expected her to show up every Thursday at 6 o'clock, and that was just date night. And, and I don't want you to feel like date night has to be this big, expensive experience where you go for this fabulous meal, and then you have the movies afterwards. Like, it doesn't have to be that. There are so many times when our date night was, you know, to share a venti latte and go to the bookstore and, and hang out. Uh, or to use, a, you know, the coupon card and, and do a two-for-one sandwich and share a soda and a bag of chips and seven bucks. And we're like, that's date night. Because the Amen. point is not, yeah. <laughs> the point is not, you know, to have this fabulous meal and this experience. The point is just to connect with one another, like, you know, who are you again? And why do we fall in love? And like kind of connect and get back to where we were. So date night is huge, uh, really important for that reason. Oh, speaking your, your spouse's love language, that's huge too. If you don't know what it is, get the book, figure it out, and start speaking it. It's so easy for us to just do for our spouse what we want them to do for us. I'm an uh, act of service. So when he uh, makes the bed in the morning and I come home from dropping off a kid and the bed is made, I'm like, oh, he was thinking of me and I wasn't even here and I didn't even ask or the kitchen's clean and I'm texting him all these heart, you know, eye emojis, like kissy faces because that means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, it's only taken me like 18 years to figure that out. <laughs> and, and likewise, I know that he's physical touch, so I, I have to be proactive to be thinking, okay, I'm gonna you know, hug him, give him a kiss, give him little you know, touches here and there, because that's not how I'm wired. You know, God didn't create me that way, so I have to be thinking and I have to be proactively you know, doing that in order to be speaking his love language. So that's good. I think that's job. huge. And then the last thing that I would say is just dreaming together. We uh, often, comment on the fact that while we love our kids and they're here and they're making life right now so much fun, they're not going to be here forever. They're going to be launched into the world and become their own family, their own individual, and it's just going to be us. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a lot of fun discussions like, well, what's that going to look like, you know, and, and what are we going to be able to do? And are we going to be able to travel more and like, you know, build houses in Haiti and, and wells and churches in Nicaragua? And like, that's really fun to think about what that future, dreaming about the future is going to be like. So that helps us kind of plan. Yeah, and so in regards to the date night, uh, we were very, very disciplined. Years ago, I heard uh, somebody say this, and I'll never forget it. He said, uh, you can pay a babysitter to go on your date nights, or you can pay a divorce lawyer. And it's a lot cheaper to pay the babysitter. So pay, pay the babysitter. Pay the Write that babysitter. down. That's not in your notes this week. Write that down. So we did. Good stuff. Uh, I can echo date night there. All right. So uh, are we having a good time so far? Good stuff so far? We taking notes? All right. Now, uh, 
this week uh, was a little fun for me uh, and uh, for a good reason. So let me ask you just a question. If you're in the crowd today and I said, hey, I want to ask one of your kids, if you're a parent, I want to ask one of your kids to come on stage and say anything they want about your marriage and or your parenting, how many of you would sign up for that? <laughs> one person, two, two people in the crowd. I think they probably have toddlers. So, um, no, no, so... Uh, Fun surprise, that's exactly what I did this week. Uh, I talked to the Anderson kids this week. Here they are. Let's give them some love. All right, so uh, if I'm fully honest, I went to the Anderson kids and I said, all right, guys, your parents are going to be on stage. Your dad picks on you from time to time. Most of the time, he's not name dropping you. Um, but uh, give me some dirt. Like, like, give me some dirt on your mom and dad. Like, what can we share that would embarrass them? Uh, and like, they're really nice kids, so, um, no, honestly, uh, they had nothing but good stuff to say. I did ask some hard-hitting questions I felt like would be good for us. Uh, do you guys want to hear those questions and what they said? All right, so uh, the first question I asked was, I said, hey, what's the one thing that your mom does that's just the sweetest? And here's what they said. They said, she works so hard for us and makes sure we have everything we need, even if that means going out of her way to provide it. So you're doing something right there, Mom. Good job. Um, now, now, I got a little harder on Dad. I said, what's the best lesson that you've learned from your dad? Now, gents, you better put some pens in your hand and write this down. It's like gladiator movie quote time here. They said, our dad's taught us that when we gain trust, we gain freedom. And in order to gain trust, we need to have wisdom. Like... That's good stuff, so well done, Dad. Uh, let's give some love to the kids. Thanks for playing along, guys. That was fun. Uh, it was super fun, and I literally got no dirt. But we did receive, um, we received an online question, though, that relates to that, getting some feedback from your kids. Uh, the question, I want to get this right. So the question came from Bandrew Panderson, uh, and he asked, who's your favorite kid? Uh, we'll get to that one later if we have time. Uh, I'm just here for the cheesy jokes, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but now we're going to turn the page a little bit because we did receive a bunch of questions this week about what happens when it takes a wrong turn. When things go wrong in marriage, how do we work through those things? So let's get to the first question. The first question is, how do you compromise on a disagreement or a decision that has to be made, but you both have completely opposite views? Yeah. So, you know, I talk to a lot of married couples and um, you can really get your horns locked on lots of different issues and then... A lot of married couples struggle to get unlocked and kind of bring some resolution. And honestly, over the years, what we've learned to do or understand is that when we come to an issue where we both disagree, it's, it, we go back to our relationship with Christ. And both of us are trying to be the best disciples that we can be uh, followers of Jesus. And at the core of Jesus' teaching, and you see this in all four Gospels, is this idea of self-denial or dying to yourself. I'll show you one example in Luke 9. Jesus said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And that, that word deny simply means to, to die to this idea that you have to have your own way. And it means that it's describing, describing a spiritual condition of the soul that says, just because I don't get my way, it's not going to anger me. It's not going to frustrate me. I'm not going to be controlled by it. And it's going to be okay if I do things your way. So on issues of preference, which is, is most of the issues that come up between spouses, they're not issues of morality or right and wrong. Jackie's going to speak to that in a second. 
but it's most of, mostly, mostly it's like, well, I would prefer to do it this way, well, I would prefer to do it this way, and then you lock horns and you don't know how to resolve it. But if I can come to the situation with the posture of self-denial, and she comes to the, to the issue with a posture of self-denial, then we can both practice the thing that we talked about last week, which was mutual submission. You know what? Let's just do it your way. It's fine. You know, and then she'll say to me, what? You know what? Let's do it your way. It's fine. And it's really about a, a posture of submission and self-denial. Yeah, and, but sometimes it's a matter of conviction where both parties feel like this is a moral issue. You know, are we ready to have a baby? Uh, I feel like God has told us we need to adopt. Uh, I feel like, you know, we are, need, need to, to get, get out, out of debt. debt. Something yeah, like, yeah, something like that. So these are some issues that it's like maybe one party feels strongly that we should do this and the other party's like, no, you know. And so there are three things that, that are, would be good to do. The first is to talk it through. And this is where that concept we talked about last week about uh, honoring your spouse's opinion and just respecting them enough to hear them out really comes into play. Because when you disagree so strongly, it's easy to jump in and, and, and give your objections and you know, tell them why you think they're wrong. So have a grown-up adult dialogue and sit across for the table and allow them the time to just really speak their piece. And then, and then you get the opportunity to really speak your piece and see if through that conversation, you can't come together and, and come to an agreement. If that doesn't work, then make it a matter of prayer. And we rarely have this situation, but if we have, it's I just take the posture that, okay, I'm not fighting about this anymore. I don't want to argue. I don't want to be at odds with you. I'm just going to stop talking about it and pray about it. Because I know that, that he has a relationship with God, and God is talking to him, and he can change his heart. And I have a relationship with God, and God is talking to me, and he can change my heart. And so that's my prayer. Just, God, would you change his heart to match mine? Or would you change, or would you change my heart to match his? Because I really don't care which one it is. I want what you want, God. And so making it a matter of prayer for a, a period of time if after that period of time has come and gone and you still aren't on the same page, then bring in a third party. And that would be a qualified third party. Uh, it doesn't mean like your buddy from high school that's already been divorced three times. Like, hey, that doesn't qualify. Or your friend from work who's always complaining about her husband and you know she's going to side with you. Like, pull in a, a, a peer, you know, a couple from your small group that you respect their marriage and how they operate and you both feel comfortable just laying it out in front of them or an older couple that you've met from church that you feel the same way about, a pastor, a counselor, and, and you can both take your opinion and your side of the issue and kind of dump it out on the table and let them objectively look at it. And then they can kind of you know, tell you what they think from their point of view, because a lot of times you feel so passionate about this conviction that you feel like you have that it's hard to see your spouse's point of view. That's good stuff. So if you guys were listening to Jackie and maybe throw this in your notes, here's what I heard. Like when it gets really hard on an issue of conviction, it's talk, pray, third parte. <laughs> all right. All right. That's really good, guys. He's Thank here you for... all day, folks. All it day true. long. <laughs> That's true. Uh, all right. <laughs> next up, next up on the question, a little bit harder here. 
If you've done something wrong to your spouse, do you have to confess the truth, or can you just ask God for forgiveness and move on? What a great question. Um, you know, we could have let this one slip by and not answer it, but it, it happens. It's all, you know, we sin against each other, and the temptation is, I'm just going to keep this between me and God. I don't have to tell my spouse because it might, you know, be embarrassing. It might really hurt her, or it might even end up, you know, leading to like a separation because it's severe. And so for those reasons, we try to, you know, sometimes we, you know, just keep it to ourselves. But I think that's not the right path to go. I think the path would be to confess it to your spouse and be honest about it. And uh, I think that God honors that. And I think what that does is that that allows us, Jackie's going to speak to this in just a second, but it allows you to kind of get, live in reality. You know, the Bible says, by the way, in, in Numbers uh, 32, it says, your sin will find you out. And I really believe that. And I think that um, it, it's better to go ahead and get it out on the table now than for it to be a secret. And then three years later, your spouse, your spouse finds out the pain and the hurt and the sense of betrayal will be much deeper three years, four years, 10 years down the line than if you just go ahead and confess it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, if you allow it to be concealed, then you are allowing your spouse to live a lie basically. It's kind of this fantasy marriage of the person that they think you are and the relationship that they think you have, but that isn't reality because they don't know the whole truth, and it's just not fair. Um, You know, for us, we had a situation about 12 or 14 years ago where I had uh, allowed a significant amount of money to be uh, racked up on a credit card. And without him knowing, it wasn't like one big purchase that he would notice. It was lots of little stuff. It honestly was probably all Target because (laughs) Target, I mean, that's just what happens there, right? So um, I had, I just remember thinking, yeah, I don't need to tell him. Like, you know, I can fix this and I can work it out and, you know, move some things around. And I just, in my quiet time with God, it just kept coming back. Like, nope, you need to tell him. You need to tell him. And uh, I kind of was wrestling with this. And then I confessed it to a friend. And she confirmed my conviction that, yeah, you need to come clean. And um, there is a verse that speaks to this in Proverbs 28, 13. And it says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And it's this idea that the person who conceals their sins doesn't prosper that kept coming back to me. And I just remember thinking, like, I want what everything that God has for me in my relationship with Him, in my marriage, in my family. I didn't want to be somebody who concealed something and because that didn't prosper. And at the end of the day, that was what made me fess up. And I'll never forget, it was a summer night and I had like this rock in my stomach and a and just this knot in my throat, and I was so nervous that he was going to be so angry with me and uh, never trust me again and, you know, have a hard time forgiving me, and he forgave me right away, and I was able to earn his trust back. He was very gracious, but it just, imagine what would have happened if I would have concealed that thing, and then it would have been so much easier to then conceal another thing and then to conceal another thing and then to conceal. And then all of a sudden, you know, this marriage is, it's a complete fabrication mm-hmm. and it's just, it's not real. We're not living in reality because I have all these little things that I'm hiding. Um, so the consequences can be severe, but sometimes it's, it's not sometimes, it. but it, it is worth it. Mm-hmm. That's good. Sometimes uh, that consequence, I heard you talk about uh, 
hits trust. the trust of a marriage. And so we received this question this week. How do I help my spouse trust me again after a porn addiction or cheating? It's really tough. You know, porn is an epidemic in our culture today. Adultery is an epidemic. Um, and it's, it's uh, from a man's perspective, if, if the man is the offending party and has a porn addiction or has done cheating, I think it's really, really important to start with communicating. First of all, get free of that stuff. You want to you be delivered from pornography and delivered from lust and all those things. But moving beyond that, um, that's a whole battle in itself. But after that, you want to communicate, and this will take a long time, that your spouse is, is the one for you. Like, you only have eyes for her. Because what pornography and all that stuff does to a woman is it communicates or it sends the message to them that, they're not beautiful enough, and they're not attractive enough, and, and the woman starts feeling like, well, if I were attractive enough, then you wouldn't go look at that stuff, or you wouldn't go have an affair, and so that really cuts to the core of a woman's heart, and so you have to overcome that, that insecurity, uh, first of all, by getting free, but then also communicating, no, you, you are the one for me, and I only have eyes for you, and then there's more to it. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say uh, there are a couple of things that I'd say to the offending party, and then the one that's been offended. Also, just making it clear that that the offended party doesn't have to be the woman. You know, this situation definitely goes both ways. Uh, but if you are the one who has done the offense, I would say first of all, make sure that your spouse has full access to all of your stuff your phone, your email, your laptop, all your passwords, that they can get into anything at any no time secrets. and see what you've been doing. Yeah, there's no secrets. If, there, if you don't have anything to hide, if you're innocent, then you don't have anything to hide. You have no fear. Um, the second thing I would say is to make sure that your spouse knows that you are working on it. You are listening to podcasts. You are reading books. You've gotten into a Bible study. You have an accountability partner, and you are actively making the steps to gain freedom in this area of your life. If you are the one who has been offended, I would say two things. The first is don't take it personally. Don't allow this situation to speak into your value as a person mm -hmm. and to make you feel like because this has happened, you aren't worth anything. Don't allow that the situation to speak that into you because it's, it's not true. And the second would be um, forgive. And when you choose to forgive your spouse, move on. I've known too many couples where the, the one who's been offended has forgiven, but then he or she never really quite, quite lets their spouse forget about it. Mm -hmm. And it's always doing things or saying things to bring back those memories. And so forgive, move on, and then support your spouse in their journey to recovery and healing. Mm. Yeah. That's really That's good. good. Thank you, guys. Uh, now, we received uh, another bunch of questions, a um, little bit lighter, but just as heavy in marriage, uh, related to family dynamics, some questions about parenting, and, and a lot on blended families. In fact, um, one of the things that I was thinking about as we were trying to organize these questions is something that we probably don't talk about often from the stage, but I know is very important in your family, and that is partnering with the church to raise your kids. And so I know that's important for you. You just want to tell us how, why? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, Danny and I, we view ourselves as the primary spiritual uh, guides or Influence. influences in our kids' lives. You know, it's from us that they first learn, you know, what are our beliefs? 
what is the truth and you know how are we going to live and walk through this life but it's all the amazing programs at the church that support and validate what we're already doing at home and that's what I love about it uh, and there are a ton of ways that that happens the first is small group which I talked about briefly last week our kids are all in a different one. They're with their peers. They're talking about things that matter to their peers right now, whether they're you know, seventh, eighth, 10th grade. But they also have an adult who's speaking life and truth into them about who they are and whose they are. Uh, and it's just validating and supporting what we're already saying at home. The second is a monthly verb night for middle school and high school students, and that's just a service kind of like this, but just way cool and awesome for high school kids and middle school kids. And once again, they get that validation support of what we're already doing at home. Um, the third would be serving, and I, this might be one of my favorites because I love that they get to like get out there and be active. Um, you know, they get to dip their toe in the water and try doing something, whether they're uh, helping run sound or music for the preschool class or up hosting or they're loving on babies and they get to try it and then they find that like they're good at it. And when that happens, it's just awesome. And I'm not kidding you when I'm telling you that I, I use serving to wake up my kids on Sunday morning. And it's like, okay, you know, it's Sunday and you get to serve. And they, they just love it. And, and so that's very important to me. Um, and then the last thing is camp. And that's just that opportunity where for a whole week they can unplug from video games and from, uh, you know, TV and from all of the stuff that we have going on here every week. And they just get to be inundated with the spiritual truths that are, again, validating and supporting what we're already doing at home. And then the relationships are kind of on hyperdrive there. And then they kind of build that foundation of friends to kind of get them through the next year in youth groups. So, you know, this church walking with us in parenting is just, it's huge. Yep. So um, on top of the small group and the camp and all that serving opportunities, the church also tries to do supplement, you know, give supplemental help. Um, for instance, this, this week on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday in your handout, there's a documentary called Over 18, and it's just something that we've discovered as a church that we want to get parents uh, in front of parents to help them navigate this new world of pornography in their kids' lives and how do you, do, how do you deal with the, the access. And, and so that's just stuff like that. We just want to come alongside parents and, and support, support them and validate what they're teaching in the home. So it's, it's huge for us. Awesome. I know you guys, uh, you guys do that well, partnering with the church. All right, here's a question that we got about blended families. Our friend Julie was watching online this morning. She asked a, a question really similar to this one, too. She said, how do we maintain valuing the marriage relationship as the most important one in the home while navigating the dynamics of a blended family? Yeah, this is a tough one, especially since Danny and I, we don't have this experience. So we talked to some friends who've done this well and kind of confirmed what, what we already thought to be true. And um, I, I think our answer is just that it's a very delicate kind of a dance that you're performing here. And while uh, the overall hierarchy that we talked about last week of valuing God first and then your spouse and then your children, that, that still needs to be in place. However, your kids coming into this blended family, I mean, what has happened before this? There's maybe been a divorce, maybe there's been a, the death of a loved one. There's possibly a lot of scars 
uh, wounds and, and just hurt and pain that your kids are struggling with at this time. And then they're coming into this new family with a new adult and possibly new siblings and just these new and strange dynamics. So we would say, keep, overall, keep that hierarchy, but there will be times when you need to look at your spouse and say, your child, your son, your daughter really needs you right now. And I see that, and so I'm going to take a back seat, and you need to tend to your child right now and kind of help them through this time. Overall, knowing that then we're going to shift back to the hierarchy the way it should be because at the end of the day, you want to model for your kids what a healthy marriage looks like. You want to use this new blended family and this new marriage to show them what, what it's, how it's supposed to be done so that one day they can do that as well. And so you've got to you know, rearrange for a time and then shift back to uh, the way that God has designed it. Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that is that, you know, as, as an adult, if you're the spouse coming into this scenario, you just have to be secure enough and mature enough to know that at times you're going to have to give your spouse the freedom to tend to the hurts and the wounds of, of their child and not get all offended or insecure that, oh, you're not putting me first or the marriage, the marriage is supposed to come first. Yes, ideally it is, but, but there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain sometimes. Sometimes there's guilt and shame. Kids will blame themselves sometimes for the divorce of their parents. You get, I mean, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. I've seen it. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a dance. It's delicate. And it just requires maturity and, and, and security on the adult's part. That's good. Thank you guys for that. Uh, now, here's what's uh, tough. We're almost out of time. And so there are lots more questions I know that we would love to, uh, to be able to answer. And I told you before that uh, I want you to look for our social media feeds this week. Uh, we'll try to put out maybe an answer to one or two more questions. Uh, just give you a little teaser. One of the questions that we weren't able to get to today, uh, get your sharp elbows ready, you spouses out there, deals with the kinds of boundaries you design for your parents and your in-laws. Ooh. Can, so, I, can I give a quick sneak, ooh, sneak peek? Okay. I don't have time right. to get into all this, but I do want to tell you one really quick one-liner. You can write this down. If you don't want your in-laws in your business, then don't share your business with them. So there you go. There's more to it than that, but you know what I'm saying. So. That's worth the price of admission right there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, all right. So before we wrap things up today, though, uh, you know, Danny, I wanted to give you maybe a minute because... Uh, you know, you lead this place, that's not a surprise. And, and each and every week, I know it's important for you that we lay out a moment for people to step into a relationship with Jesus, to trust Him for the first time. Um, and I just was hoping that maybe you could share why you're so passionate about that here at our church. Yeah, so um, it's, I don't know if you've, if you've felt this, if you've been coming for a while, but I believe with all of my heart that everything that I do as a father, as a husband, as a, as a Christ follower, as a pastor, it, it's rooted in or comes out of my relationship with Christ. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, strength, wisdom, discernment, uh, guidance, all comes out of my walk with Jesus and affects my marriage, my parenting, my, the handling of stress or handling of money or whatever the issues are. And so Jesus came to this earth uh, not just to take us to heaven when we die, not just to die on a cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins and spend eternity with Him. I'm so thrilled about that. In fact, we'll spend far more time in eternity than we will on this earth. Do you agree? So I'm so glad that, that eternal life in heaven when we die is part of the deal. But Jesus also came to offer abundant life right now and uh, a quality of life that is filled or can only be described 
with words like joy and peace and a heart filled with agape love and with strength to forgive or to strength, strength to with, with, with uh, stand temptation in this life. And that's available uh, to you. And Jesus would say to you today, come, you know, drink from the fountain. You know, one time he called himself the bread of life and he said, partake. And so that's why I'm so passionate about it. It, it impacts every aspect of our life and creates a quality of life that we all long for. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you would like to start that, it's very simple. You just reach out to him in faith and ask him to, to wash away your sin and tell him you believe he died on the cross, he rose again, and that, that you want him to be your savior today. And, and so if that's where you're at, whether you're watching online or you're here physically, um, and you feel a tug on your heart, I'm going to just say a quick prayer, and, and, and it's a prayer of faith. And if you want to pray this prayer and, and you feel led to do that, just take these words and make them your own, and uh, you can become a child of God today and begin following Jesus. Will you pray with me? Just tell Jesus this right now. Jesus, today, I choose to trust you. I choose to place my life in your hands. I believe you are the Savior, that you died on the cross to wash away all my sin. Please forgive me today, cleanse me, and make me your child. And from this day forward, help me to follow you, help me to love you, help me to obey you, and to do my best to honor you with my life. Fill me with your strength, give me your insight and wisdom for living. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we as a church believe with all of our hearts that that is the greatest decision that anybody could ever make in the history of their life. And so we like to celebrate it, don't we guys? Let's celebrate that. We pray to receive Christ. What we would love to do to get you started is to give you a one-year New Testament. It's a copy, of the a copy of a portion of the Bible. There's tables in the back to my right and to my left. If you prayed to receive Christ today, please grab one of these free of charge on the way out. If you did it online, there's a little box there you can check that says, I accepted Christ. Check that box. Put your address in there. We will send one of these to you in the mail. We want to get you started on the right foot, reading the scriptures right out of the gate. If you did not pray that prayer and you still have questions about faith, the Bible, Jesus, you might have disagreements. We have an environment for you. First of all, we want to say thanks for being here. This is a great place for you to be. We have an environment called Starting Point. It's a place, it's, it's actually a short-term conversational environment where you can talk about your questions, your doubts, maybe get some answers to some of the questions you have. And so please talk to our folks back there at the Starting Point table, and they would love to get you signed up for that environment. One more time, guys. Can we give God praise for what he's done? Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys uh, so much. Hey, here at the Greenwood campus and across our physical campuses, and even if you're watching online, I want to tell you about an amazing opportunity uh, to have an experience outside of our weekend. Uh, we call it Night of Worship, and uh, it's coming up March 1st, 7 o'clock. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, it's going to be here at the Greenwood campus, and we're going to pack this place out and lift our voices loud uh, in worship. Now, I want to tell you about a couple of things related to Night of Worship this time around, first of which is 
we're going to charge you this time around. Uh, we've got a local partnership, and we're trying to, uh, to do more with our night of worship. So we're going to ask you to bring a canned good. That's your way in uh, to night of worship. You and your family can come and bring some canned goods to help us out there. Uh, and also, I want you to know that if you have a kiddo from three and under, uh, three and under only, we're going to be providing child care for night of worship to give you a little space in here, uh, mom and dad, just to uh, be on your own. Now, to take advantage of that, we got to pre-register your kiddos. And so here's what I'd love for you to do. If you text now kids to 65248, that's N-O-W kids to 65248, that'll get you started on the registration process to make sure we have room for your kiddo at night of worship. Has this been encouraging for you guys these two weeks? Hey, man, man can I say one more thing? Yeah, Danny, what do you got? So, so it really has been an honor to have my wife up here and, um, I didn't say this to any of the other services, but I'll say it now. The, the, my ability to pastor this church um, comes out of this relationship. And so uh, my wife is incredible, and she gives me strength and support and love. And uh, if my marriage wasn't what it is, not perfect, but if it wasn't what it is, there's no way I could pastor our church and lead our staff. It's just impossible. It f in fact, my leadership and, and ministry and service to all of you comes out of, of this relationship. And so I just want to thank my wife one more time for being up here. Can we give her a hand? Awesome. And you know, I it's because of that that I think maybe most fitting for us as a church family uh, is maybe just to join together in prayer for you guys, uh, for your marriage and your family as you lead the church. So church, would you join me in prayer? God, we come to you today so grateful uh, that you designed marriage the way that you did to allow, uh, to allow us to come together in a, in a covenant with each other. God, I want to thank you so much for the marriage that you've blessed Annie and Jackie with. And, and like they said, it's, it's a battle to get it right. And so I just want to lift their marriage to you. I want to ask that you continue to provide uh, the path before them that allows them to love each other well and to parent their children well and to govern their home as you would see fit. I thank you for uh, their efforts and their love for this church and this church body. So I just ask that you continue to protect and guide their home as they lead this church. It's in the name of Jesus, a powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. Uh, we want to see you, you next week. Lots of seats to fill at every campus at Emmanuel. We'll see you then.